Right, the, what you may find is you're concentrating on hitting that little ball. The rest of the world just fades away, all your everyday nagging concerns. <laughs> Taking your biological clock. I probably couldn't afford that nice new suede coat on a G-woman's salary. How you threw away a promising career in medicine. <laughs> Don Dalian, the crackpot, helped me. Brilliant partner. Getting to the heart of a global conspiracy. You're obscenely overdue triple X, Bill. Oh, I'm sorry, Scully. The last two problems are mine, not yours. Shut up, Mulder. I'm playing baseball. Oh! Hi, and welcome to Badinage to the Pens off-topic podcast about the X-Files. Um, if you have not seen X-Files Season 10 and you're planning on it, um, you may want to hold off. Uh, Reconsider. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> can we, we'll talk about whether that's a good idea or not. Um, we may, there may be spoilers and as true X-Files form, you might not understand what those spoilers are, even if you have watched the show. So um, I'm Tyler Baber. Uh, I've got with me Chris Baber, and returning to Banish to the Pen again is Ben Lindbergh. Hi. Ben, uh, why don't you say where they can find you? Uh, they can find me at 538 sometimes. They can find my podcast, Effectively Wild, at Baseball Prospectus and on iTunes and everywhere else podcasts are. Hopefully, listeners of Bench to the Pen have heard of that um, before. <laughs> it would be weird if they hadn't. Yeah. But... Um, and Chris, what about you? Uh, you can find me in not so snowy central New York um, and on Twitter at CJ Baber. Not doing podcasts or anything like that. And um, you can find me, Tyler, at uh, on Twitter at Tyler's Notes. Um, and occasionally on the internet um, at the Dynasty Guru and Banish to the Pen. And um, so the three of us got roped into discussing X-Files. We thought it would make a, an interesting off-topic uh, discussion before the season start, started at Banish to the Pen. Um, and then I think as the um, as the first episode of the season came out, it was you know maybe maybe the discussion would be a little bit less interesting um, or a little bit more um, low <laughs> emotionally stunted or something. Then I think <laughs> as the season progressed, it um, I don't know about you guys, but from my perspective, it really hit some high high points. Uh, before the last two episodes, in my estimation, um, sort of pushed everything back to um, a very clearly defined um, low point for the series, <laughs> in my personal um, recommendation. So um, we'll talk a little bit later about you know how we all uh, came to the X Files, what our backgrounds are with the show. But then I just want to start with a simple question, which is, did season 10, which is this most recent six-episode six run, did season 10 work for you? Well, I think half of it worked. And I think the half of it that didn't work was all kind of had something in common. I think there was a 
a pretty stark contrast between the Chris Carter episodes and the non-Chris Carter episodes. And I hate to speak ill of the creator of the X-Files. He can drink for free at my house for life. And it's always a, a strange, complicated thing when the creator and the visionary behind something you love seems to derail that very thing and lose his or her touch for that thing. But that seems to have happened. And so coming into this season 10 miniseries reboot continuation, whatever you want to call it, I had low expectations, but, you know, just based on the way the last movie was and the way the last couple seasons of the show were and how long the layoff was, I don't think it was reasonable to expect a high and consistent level of quality from the series. But I also, and maybe some of you have listened to the podcast I did with Jason Concepcion, my old friend from Grantland, which is on SoundCloud, and you can find it if you just search my name on there. But we did a podcast after the first few episodes of this series, and I was talking about how I don't really worry about shows tarnishing their legacy. I don't, I don't really think something that was great can come back and not be great and really ruin the things about it that were great, particularly in the X-Files case when we've seen it be bad before. So it's not like it's establishing a new low. It is maybe just finding the old low again. So I felt like, you know, low stakes, best case, we get some good episodes out of it. And worst case, it's all terrible. And even if it had all been terrible, that really would have just continued a trend rather than establishing a new one and i think we got about half a good miniseries out of this there were three episodes i enjoyed there was one episode that i thought really ranked up with some of the the classics of the original series and that's fine i'd, I'd rather have those things and those episodes than not have them even if it means coming with the chris carter stuff which you know was among the worst x-files i've seen but so what? You know, we got some good X-Files out of it. Yeah, I think those are great points. And um, I, I think your, um, your optimism, Ben, about um, what, you know, not being able to tarnish a legacy is in contrast to my opinion, which um, it, there's it, among the Banished of the Pen and Effectively Wild listeners, you know, there's plenty of um, talk around Sam Miller's theory about Weezer. Um, my personal theory about Weezer is that um, there's something that I would consider Weezer syndrome, which is where the um, the post peak of your career is so incredibly bad that it causes people to rethink the high points before it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of a career war versus peak war well, argument. I mean, for maybe, me, it is at least. Yeah, for, maybe. For me, it's like, yeah. you know, the, the first six seasons or whatever you define the classic X Files peak as are still the same six seasons. They haven't changed for me. And I can go back and watch them and think they're great. And, you know, I mean, everything ages more or less well. But I think those episodes largely hold up. I went back and watched a bunch of them recently. And, I still got a lot out of them. And for me, it, it just doesn't matter that the show just was bad in seasons eight and nine and sometimes in 10 and sometimes in the theaters. It, you know, <laughs> it, it just, it doesn't affect anything to me. Maybe it brings down the career war of the show because it adds these sub replacement level seasons. But 
for me, the, the peak period is just kind of roped off and untouched by anything that comes afterwards. But I understand how you could have a different interpretation. Oh, that, actually, so. actually, I mean, I would say that um, I hold a similar point of view, I think, in terms of the high points of the show. Um, and I'm going to ask uh, Chris, because I think uh, Chris is the one who, of the three of us, is probably the most familiar with the deep mythology of the show and has rewatched the the whole run the most frequently of of us <laughs> here. Um, but I, I think to me, it's less about the difference between um, career and peak war and more about the difference between uh, a really awesome web gem and um, actually getting in and understanding defensive metrics, uh-huh. which <laughs> is to say the best moments of the X-Files will consistently be the best moments because they're just like, they're awesome to watch. And I think for me, most of those are monster of the week style episodes. Um, I think the episode you're alluding to from this recent season, um, Mulder and Scully meet the wear monster. um, That was absolutely a, um, a high a high watermark especially in terms of just like how to do fan service well uh Uh which i think any show can take from but um you know all things considered those episodes the that episode in particular but the monster of the week ones generally they work when they work because um not just because of what they're compared to within the show itself but you know what we already know Um, and so a a good Kevin Kiermeyer web gem, um, is awesome. And we know Kevin Kiermeyer is awesome defensively, but then every once in a while, you know, you'll get like a, um, like a Jonathan Villar web gem. And it's like, that's not something we expect from him, but it's still really cool to see. Mm -hmm. And, and it's more just a matter of like, this is pure visual pleasure. It, it, I can, I can deal with it compared to having to map out all of the, you know, all of the reasons something does or doesn't work, which would be uh, on the one hand, the various types of defensive metrics. On the other hand, the various attempts, I think that Chris Carter especially has tried to keep the show running by just adding layers and layers and layers onto the mythology. Mm -hmm. Um, And with that, I would like Chris, if you wouldn't mind, in terms of understanding that mythology and understanding how the show built out over time um, from those, those peak seasons, which I think Ben's right. I mean, for me, they, they, they sort of tail off after season five with high points up and down throughout and long stretches of really good um, quality. But Chris, I'd like to hear you, explain a little bit in terms of the mythology of the show, what you thought coming into this season, you know, what you were expecting, how you felt the, the new season handled the mythology in terms of, you know, whether it was faithful to the original season, the, the, the original nine season run, um, or whether it made you rethink, you know, any, any opinions you had of that original run. Yeah. Um, so for people that don't know, well, for people that don't know, they're probably not going to listen to it to this podcast. So whatever. Um, the original mythology really wasn't 
I guess in the long run, it wasn't that many episodes, you know, so you get a handful in each season. Um, I think season one, it starts strong, um, where you get introduced uh, to the character Deep Throat. Um, he really only lasts that one season. Um, and it, it basically is all about Mulder trying to find the truth, but also what happened to his sister, uh, Samantha. Um, well, and and just to and to really quickly summarize some of the key themes across all the seasons, there's Mulder trying to find evidence that aliens did something with his sister or figure out what happened to his sister. Yes. There's a shadowy government or yeah, the syndicate. post go- um, or, uh, above uh, government agency. Yeah, the syndicate, cigarette smoking man. And as this ends, um, yeah. So go ahead. So the, the quick overall themes, um, you know, Mulder and Scully's assignment in the X Files unit. Well, you know, as they get pulled in and out of that, um, you learn more about both of their families. The presence of the Black Oil, the alien, oh god, uh, alien bounty hunters that are brought in, I think, in season three, and uh, this. And um, the syndicate, which you really start learning more about as the series goes along, um, and then you know, uh, my favorite bad guy in the whole series, Krychek, um, comes into play multiple times during all that. Um, and then I, I think yeah, Ben is right. It's really, at season six is when it all kind of, you know, you can stop watching there. Well, which you know, there is, and that's episodes. around the first movie, right? So the first movie came out in the mid '90s, right between season five and six, um, or four and five, um, and uh, yeah. yeah, either way. So like that, I think you're right, Chris, that there was really like the show was never focused exclusively on mythology, which you know, maybe we can talk about a little bit. It puts it different than a lot of the shows that it may have influenced. But, um, you know, because it wasn't focused on the mythology, one of the criticisms of the X-Files, especially towards the later runs, was that, like, there wasn't ever a, a clear sense that the um, that there was a direction, that anyone knew where it was going. They weren't just making it up as they went along. Um. So I guess, Chris, here's my here's my real question to you. Um, do you think Chris Carter was just making it up as he went along? And if that's true, does the does the tenth season especially change the way that you view the overall mythology of the show? Um. So I think. Yeah, I could see him making it up. I don't think this was, like, lost where, you know, the group of writers, so they claim, had a had a path and a story and knew exactly what was going to happen. Um, I think this was a, a case of a lot of good writers um, helping Carter out and um, saying, all right, yeah, let's, uh, let's, you know, bring Dwayne Barry in and Agent Scully's pregnant now, or, you know, Jillian Anderson's pregnant, so let's get her abducted so she's out. So, I, you know, I, I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why she was abducted in season two by uh, Dwayne Barry. Because, yeah. you know, they didn't originally plan for that, you know. Um, and that ended up being a huge part of the series. Um, I, I For season 10, I think that it kind of threw the series 
the original run kind of like, eh, it doesn't really matter what happened. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't make sense that Mulder can just live in some house somewhere when he was basically in prison for... for Oh, God, I don't even remember what it was because I only watched season nine once. And he got and out of sucked. prison, I think, for the second movie, right? And for some reason, he was out of prison and allowed to work with the FBI again um, for whatever reason after the second movie and or in the second movie, which is also something I think we all agree not necessarily highly recommended. Oh, God, it was bad. <laughs> So yeah. and was, I think, I mean, what you're talking about, Tyler, with how, you know, a, a bad kind of decline phase can cause a reappraisal of the peak, maybe in some cases, I think that kind of has happened with mythology episodes where people are really just writing them off entirely and saying that the show always was monster of the week. And that was always the backbone and the meat of the show. And I don't think that was necessarily true throughout the entire run. I, I think for a while there, for maybe at least a couple seasons, the mythology stuff was strong and it not only kind of gave you something to, you know, the, the occasional Darren Morgan or, or Vince Gilligan humorous episode that would sort of play off the, the very serious weighty mythology episodes. You kind of needed one to have the other, but that stuff also was just really intriguing. And then at a certain point, you started to see the seams and you started to get the sense that the showrunners didn't necessarily know what they were doing and they didn't necessarily know any more than we did. And when you get to that point and it feels like, you know, they're just kind of feeling around in the dark or just adding more and more complexities because they've written themselves into a corner at that point, I think, you know, even though really throughout the entire run, mythology episodes were the premieres and the finales, like they sort of were perceived as the thing people were watching the show for. After a while, I don't think they were anymore, and they certainly weren't in this miniseries, but they weren't always bad, I think is maybe important to remember. There were good times with yeah, X-Files yeah, mythology yeah. episodes. Well, oh, I, sure. actually... Oh, go ahead, Chris. Well, I, I think that... Um... You know, throughout the first, especially the first four seasons, I think. I mean, if, if the fifth season, I think that's the one where they bring in the chess prodigy, um, I believe. You're getting into some deep name. cuts here. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Anyway, I, I think that, you know, before that, there there's a lot of really good ones. Um, and even standalone mythology episodes where, you know, or like two-part ones where you don't have to really understand everything that's going on. Um they're just good in and of themselves. Right, sure. So there's, you know, in one of those early seasons, there's a cliffhanger where literally Mulder dies um, and is brought back to life by, you know, Native American uh, magic. But that that is a mythology episode in that it impacts a character. Other than that, it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, from, from my perspective, I think I didn't necessarily even remember that Mulder and Scully had a child together. Um <laughs> But apparently that was a big episode in the ninth season, but it was just a single episode. So it's, yeah, I think that in terms of standalone mythology that you guys are fortunately, both right. Fortunately, Chris Carter has about a half hour of voiceover to remind you. That's true. And I, so, and so that's another thing that, you know, if you think about it, there's a lot of the complaints that I have with the 10th season that if I go back and think about the older seasons, they're, 
especially the second half of, I guess, the original run, um, they're not necessarily unique to this 10th season. So I guess my question, uh, let's start with you, Ben, and then Chris, you can take it too, is, is the problem with season 10 that the show changed or is the problem that it didn't change enough? Well, I mean, I think there are still stories that the X-Files could tell. Obviously, it's a different world. It's a different society. It's a different culture. There are different concerns. Not only culture, but TV as a medium has changed the sort of stories that people tell in it, the sort of artists who work in it. All of that has changed dramatically since the X-Files started and even since the X-Files went off the air. So it would require some adaptation, I think to to make the X-Files function as well today as it did in the 90s. But I think I would watch competently made X-Files even in 2016. But I think, I mean, if we can just talk about the finale in the room for a second, <laughs> I just, I'm still almost reeling from just how incompetently made it was i'm 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 genuinely a forgiving guy and especially you know when there's nostalgia in in the mix and you know you're happy just to see these characters again but it was just incredible you know i mean it, again again it, like i i was thinking to myself as i was watching this like i can't believe this is this bad are they really making this how does this even get to air and, you know, every time I thought, I can't believe this is happening, I then would think, well, I, I guess I can believe it. It's a Chris Carter X-Files episode. We've sort of <laughs> seen this before. But it was just just amazing, like the amount of story that they tried to cram into one episode of television and just, uh, you know, the, the dialogue is just, just so wooden and so, uh, you know, full of... Uh, there's just there's just no emotional connection to it they they tried to develop everything so quickly and it was it was just like bad x-files fan fiction like like grammar yes. school level x-files fan fiction except even worse i think because x-files fan fiction would at least probably feature the Mulder and scully relationship like i think it at this point we've established that people like Mulder <laughs> and scully and the finale featured Mulder sitting in the passenger seat of a car for about half the time and they were not in the same place and just you know forgetting just the just enormous I, I don't even know if you can call them plot holes like it was just such a gaping morass of nonsense you know just I mean the the sequence of events and the driving from one place to another in time spans of time that made no sense and just the the scope of you know, the entire world coming down with this contagion and trying to save the entire world in the span of a single episode and just all the voiceover and all the explaining that had to be done. It was, it was just, you know, it's kind of incredible that at some point in the process, someone doesn't look at this script and say, no, you know, yeah, just, right. no, just yeah. take another pass at that. And, the person uh, making the script is the person who gets to make I, the episode. I so. guess that's the problem. Yeah. And I mean, Chris Carter, since he sort of made his return to TV from his decade long sabbatical, sabbatical, you know, hella skiing or climbing mountains or whatever <laughs> he was doing, surfing in that time he's had a, a string of shows that he created and that never made it to air. And you can 
kind of see why you would think at this point, you know, if he doesn't have the sort of grandfathered in status as creator of the X-Files, why you would not put anything that he writes at this point on the air, because he just seems to have lost touch with how to tell a story. I mean, he, he wrote excellent episodes in his time with the X-Files. And I think it's inevitable, you know, that you would have some misfires because the amount of TV that the X-Files was in its original run with, you know, 24 or 25 episode seasons and 50 minute episodes, that's just more TV. That's more story than I think anyone can tell, even with as talented a staff as the X-Files had at that time. And it's probably not a bad thing that TV has sort of moved away from that model. But you would think that when you come back and you have six episodes and you've had years to think about what you would do if you had another chance to tell this story, it's just mind boggling that this is what the answer was. And and the fact that it was a cliffhanger, I, you know, I, I didn't care at, at all. <laughs> I didn't, I was happy that the episode had ended. Basically, I would have been happy if it had ended at any point in the episode because that would have meant that I wasn't watching it anymore so like I just you know by by the time it ended it had so completely done away with you know not only the fact that the X-Files has teased us and cliffhangered us many many times in the past and at this point it would be silly to expect any kind of satisfying conclusion but it was just so incompetently told that I was happy that it ended even though nothing at all had been resolved yeah i want to um take a moment here though to just sort of highlight how much happened in the span of let's it was the (laughs) the second the the finale of this season um which chris carter has already um started making promises that it will return without saying how or when (laughs) um but it does seem like he's he's pretty confident that um it'll come back but so this was the two-parter and we've seen this happen before in the x-files um where the first part is the beginning of the season or the season premiere then you know you don't really hear anything about it then you know however span of time whatever span of time later which has to be a pretty extreme span of time um for this little mini season given how much happened um I'm going to I'm going to try to sum up in like a minute and a half everything that happened. So in <laughs> the very first episode of the season, um Mulder and Scully are reunited after uh ha- after having been together for the the second movie I want to believe uh, the shippers got what they wanted, their romance happened and then it it didn't blossom or it didn't maintain, which I think makes sense. Um, so they were not together anymore. They were reunited, um, by a, like Alex Jones, Glenn Beck, uh, weirdo (laughs) style character, um, that no one believed in or thought anything of, but he was rich, which seems reasonable. Um, and he had a nice dig at Bill O'Reilly, uh, played, uh, named Tad O'Malley played by, um, Joel McHale. And, um, this guy was the sort of conspiracy nut that basically I think the shows tried to make Mulder seem like, but Mulder was always too charming to come across as like that much of a nut. Um, and so it was nice to, I guess, a little bit refreshing to see 
a complete like someone who says the same sorts of things but like even Mulder can't stand um anyway he's got this big theory that everyone has alien dna um and he's got something to prove it and Mulder believes him for whatever reason and the person who and then there's all this other stuff that it's not really aliens it's really the government has this alien technology there's an informant that we've never seen before who disappears just as quickly as we as we meet him all that happens within the first hour of the first episode. And then suddenly they're back in the FBI and they have a couple really interesting cases. Um, and then one decidedly horrifically uninteresting case, uh, which was season episode five, which is Babylon, which I will go on record as saying was the low point of this season, this mini really? season. Oh, wow. I, I, <laughs> I everything that you just said about this finale, Ben, I could say and so much more about Babylon, um, uh-huh. which was also a Chris Carter episode. Of course. Which one was Babylon? Was the Babylon last one was the, the, um, the last? Yeah, the Second one okay, sure. with the suicide bombers and the completely oh, yeah. unnecessary interstitial music, and just like a, an indie soundtrack thrown in every single scene. Oh, it was brutal. Um, well, I, just a quick. I, I liked part of that episode mainly because my first tape when I was like five was Achy Breaky Heart and I listened to it an embarrassingly a lot. Yeah, so Mulder does take shrooms and dance to Achy Breaky Heart and there are some uh, nice little fan-friendly hallucinations. Yeah, yeah. Um, out Mulder dancing yeah. like was a better yeah, was moment fun. than any moment in the finale for me. I don't think the finale had <laughs> any redeeming quality whatsoever. Yes. There wasn't a single moment of last night's episode that made me think I'm happy that this exists. And no, it made me it made me want to drink. Well, so the reason <laughs> that I feel so confident that I can sum up the mythology of this <laughs> in a pretty quick span of time is that the it comes down to the answer the re, the like big government conspiracy at the end is literally chemtrails. And that the government's making everyone sick so that they can kill us all to overcome global warming, which I think isn't that why um, Ultron wanted to kill everybody in the last Avengers movie. Like that's just like the motivation of every ridiculously stupid bad guy. And this, it also comes out, this was cigarette smoking men's um, conspiracy theory all along since the very beginning um, he was using alien DNA to whatever, to save people. He brought in Annabeth Gish's character, Monica Reyes, which I'm fine. Oh. I'm fine that she got brought back in just to be someone that we should hate because I hated her in the original run. <laughs> um, so all that to say that, yes, I agree 100% Ben with your assessment that the all of the things that it was building up to, you know, you're watching the hour go by that last hour of TV and you're saying, how are they going to tie it all up? And normally with the X-Files, it's like, Oh, I can't believe it. I know this is going to end on a cliffhanger. I'm so upset about it. And this one, like, I just wish it would end already. Like quit trying to get to the Mulder's the car and give him an IV bag. Just, you know, just cut to the credits. Yeah. I no longer, I, I no longer even understand like, you know, at least in the past with the shadowy, syndicate you sort of had a sense of what their motivation was like it it seemed like they were basically collaborators right like the aliens were going to invade and they were going to take over and the syndicate was just sort of hoping to be preserved after that happened was 
was my sense of it. They, you know, wanted to be the the Vichy government of the new alien regime. It was the best sense that I got of it, and that it changed maybe throughout the series. But at least you could understand what they were doing. Whereas in the last couple episodes, I, I just I don't know anymore what the point was. I don't know whether aliens are even in the picture anymore, or whether cigarette smoking man has just completely you know gone full supervillain and is just deciding to kill everyone and make a master race of people he has chosen because i don't know humanity isn't worthy of of setting its own course was was the clearest kind of sense i could get of it but it just wasn't at all clear to me even what he wanted or why we should care right and so then the the episode ends with a giant um spaceship hovering over the like what a bridge in in dc um so everybody sees it and and shining a light on either Mulder or scully and it then cut to the credits and wonder how interested you'll be uh when season 11 comes um my one question I have that I don't think anyone can answer, which is if the only person talking about this is the Glenn Beck uh, mouthpiece, who's got a show on the internet that somehow is having the broadcast cut of <laughs> it. Of yeah, it. A live stream? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good production <laughs> values. I don't know. <laughs> um, like, why is, why is everyone in a panic? <laughs> if Alex Jones was right about everything he says, and it's all being posted on Infowars right now. I wouldn't even know. Um, and I wonder how many people would. Right. Um, but Chris, I actually, I have a question. Um, you know, one of the things that's been talked about with, with regard to rebooting the X-Files across the entire, you know, history of the show was that maybe the X-Files could continue without um, Gillian Anderson and um, David Duchovny in sort of a Star Trek The Next Generation type of way where it's it's more of like a franchise show that just continually reboots and i think there was some hope after you know season eight and nine that uh robert patrick's character agent doggett and annabeth gish's uh agent reyes could do that a little bit um and then this recent run introduced uh us to lauren ambrose uh of can't hardly wait and um six feet under as Agent Einstein, um, yeah. and then uh, <laughs> a guy from the guy from the Flash, um, but not that guy from the Flash. Just one of the guys from the Flash, um, whose name is Robbie Amell, I guess. Um, as uh, who cares what his name was, the Mulder um, of the <laughs> new group. <laughs> and um, so, I guess the question is: Would you, if the X Files came back? as you know x files new class the new class with these guys uh do you would you care at all would you watch if it was not chris carter it was a new group of people um would you would you watch that uh i wouldn't watch it live like i did for this um you know if it's on netflix later yeah you know check it out um but i am a firm believer in ending things and um while i'm not upset that you know they just had a 10th season um i will never ever watch the first and last episode again (laughs) and i'm okay with that um just like i never have gone back to the ninth season and watched the episode with xena and 
Um, I forget what the episode was about because I've only seen it once and it was whatever. I was in high school. Um, Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd probably watch it, but on Netflix. And while I'm doing something else. Right, so it won't be the same level. And so I guess that's, um, that's a good segue into... You know the the question sort of driving this, and Ben, you did talk about this a bit in your other podcast. So um, people who want to hear your answer in more detail are welcome to go to that. But sort of what um what's your personal relationship with the X Files? What like what does it mean to you? How has it influenced not just you know how you view that that show, but like what you like what you appreciate about appreciate about other shows, things like that. Well, I think it came too late for me or I got into it too late for it to be a really transformative show for me because I watched it in the year after college. So this was long after it had already been off the air and I was technically an adult. And so my interests were already formed really by the time I came to the X-Files. And it was sort of a richer era for TV, I think. TV storytelling by then, you know, if I had come to the X-Files when I was a kid in the 90s, I probably would have been more blown away by it just because it was so advanced in a number of ways. And, you know, maybe it would have shaped me more as opposed to just fitting into the interest that I had already cultivated, which it completely did. And I loved it and I binged it, which takes a really long time to do for the X-Files. And, you know, it was on Netflix by then, I think, or I don't know if it was by then, actually, it is now. But I just, you know, just kind of blew through them and liked them a lot and stuck with it to the end. And I don't know that it really changed me that much. It's something I I feel a connection to and and a, a great affection for, but probably not quite as deep and affection and appreciation as it would have if it had come along earlier in my life. Um, I don't know that I found a perfect substitute for it. And maybe that's something we'll talk about briefly. Also, I would be in theoretically in principle on an X-Files reboot with new characters, if only because that's probably the only way we could have an X-Files without Chris Carter, I think, because it's pretty inconceivable that the original characters could come back in a show that was helmed by someone else. Whereas you probably could get a new creator and a new showrunner for a reboot with new characters. I don't know that these couple episodes with, you know, Einstein and, and what's his name really drummed up any enthusiasm for that whatsoever in that they were, you know, almost comically carbon copies of Mulder and Scully down to the hair color. And you know, they didn't really differentiate themselves from them in any way. And the stories and the scripts that they were given were not particularly compelling. So I wouldn't say that really made me want to watch an X-Files reboot, uh, but I would try it. I mean, at this point, I'm I'm in on anything X-Files, really, for, for the rest of, of my life. If there is a season 11 of 22 Chris Carter mythology episodes, I'll probably watch it you know, gnashing my teeth the entire time, but I probably will watch it because (laughs) that's kind of my connection to the show at this point. And I would certainly try any X-Files reboot 
that they were to make, although it would have to stand on its own, obviously, because, you know, without the Mulder Scully aspect, you would just have to make a good TV show. And if it weren't a good TV show, then I probably wouldn't feel obligated to keep watching it just because it was X-Files colon, you know, the new class. <laughs> um, I Yeah, I think uh, it, it's it's interesting to consider what the what the legacy of the X-Files is in terms of, you know, the way that we watch TV nowadays. And I think, uh, Ben, you alluded to this across, you know, a lot of what you've said tonight. Um, one of the things that I wonder is whether this season would have worked better if it had to get stretched out to 24 episodes and they didn't have to fill, um, you know, several years of exposition <laughs> in, uh, 40, in one 45 minute block. Um, but with that said, so uh, Chris and I, we're brothers, first of all, for the listener who that hasn't been spelled out to. Um, but we're a couple years apart. And um, I know for me, I came to the X-Files. Uh, I remember watching a portion of a show as a kid on TV, being scared out of my like pajamas, terrified by just the cold open. And then finding yeah. out later, like as I rewatched it, you know, several years later that that cold open was for humbug, uh, which is like one of the best funniest episodes of the entire run. Um, of course, cause it's a Darren Morgan. Episode. Yeah. But just like, you know, it's like an episode <laughs> about carnies and that was the yeah. one that like scared me to death when I was 12. Um, I feel bad like singing Darren Morgan's praises because you know, he, every episode that he's written is kind of a, a high for the series, but he's only written five episodes. And if you, are only going to write five episodes over decades, then it's a little bit easier to have the, the level of quality be higher than if you're trying to fill dozens of hours of screen time. So it would be great if they could bring back, you know, an X-Files season 11 with six Darren Morgan episodes, but that would be more X-Files episodes than he's written to date. Well, so. <laughs> you say that, Ben, but I think one thing that's true for TV and, and definitely was in the 90s was that... Um, especially a show like this, you know, there's a writer's room. And, mm. and so while it's impossible to assign credit to Darren Morgan outside of his episodes, there certainly was like a tone that yeah. he, his episodes were really good at capturing, but that was consistent across the show. And I mm. think a lot of what that tone was, was in um, the chemistry between Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny um, as the show went on. And I, I think that's one of the like, that's really the secret sauce that has held that the show together um, through thick and thin. Um, and why all of the, all of the many times that Mulder suddenly went missing, including for, you know, 15 minutes on Monday night uh, in 2016. Um, like they're just like that. Those are never great times to watch the X-Files. Right. Um, yeah. But as you were saying, it, it was at times a extremely scary show. And I yeah. talked about this with Jason uh, for a while, but, you know, really an incredible range of just, you know, types of stories it tried to tell and styles of telling those stories. And sometimes it could get as scary as anything on TV. And even something like Home Again, the episode from a couple of weeks ago, probably would have scared me if I was watching it as a kid. Not as much as Home, but... Yeah. Uh... Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But those, um, so I think that's actually one of the things that season 10 did best, um, is capture 
in those in the three monster of the week style episodes mm-hmm. um founder's mutation which was by directed and written by james wong which was episode two and kind of a little bit of mythology-esque because i guess it was in where scully worked um mm-hmm. and then Mulder and scully meet the Ware monster which was by darren morgan and was basically just like a um a comic convention like crowdsourced x-files episode but in like the best possible sense um mm-hmm. just every single hit every single box in the right way and then glenn morgan darren's brother um and the shows one of the show's big producers um his home again episode which was another sort of scary dark monster of the week um just you know but different than the founder's mutation one i think each of them each of those three hit different types of the tones that x-files does really well chris i'd be interested in hearing from you like do you have a, a favorite of those tones like you know what are, what are you what really gets you thinking like yeah this is what the x-files is all about so much like you um i mean i'm i'm two and a half years younger than you as, as you know but the listeners don't um when we were growing up i was not allowed to watch it with the family um but what I would do is I would sneak downstairs and like peek around the corner and then um, really regret it at the end of the episode. And particularly the last Friday night episode was Home, which Ben just alluded to, um, which when I was a child, I guess it came out, I don't remember what year, fourth, fourth season. Like 95. Um, 95. So I was not yet 10 um, if it came out in 95. And I remember watching that episode and at the time being so terrified because it is, I mean, it's a messed up episode. If you watch it now, it is, it does have some humor in it, but I think the humor um, is basically just to get you through it and to not want to just like vomit by the disgustingness of it. Um, Much like how I use humor in my everyday life um, to get through uh, crappy situations. Um, the, the episode had to do that. And I think those type of episodes, the ones that mix just really the worst of our society with humor, um, tended to be my favorite. Um, and then also, um, well, all of the Glenn Morgan episodes were fantastic. And then even the ones he was didn't necessarily write, but the ones he was in, like The Small Potatoes, um, he plays the Edward Van Blenhut guy and uh he was the host or no he was the the fluke man he's the fluke man yeah yeah um those were just fantastic so i I, the you know the the episodes like that um one yeah the fluke monster was really good too but that's also one of those episodes that's just disgusting to think about and then they throw in humor to like, oh yeah, this is a toilet monster that is laying its eggs in people, but it's also funny. Well, so I mean, so if we think about like, so I'm going to try to draw really broad um, archetypes and you guys tell me if I'm, if I'm going too broad with it. So Mulder and Scully meet the were monster. That's, I think, you know, it certainly seems like a consensus fan favorite across the internet of this recent run. Um, and I then you called it a classic of the series as a whole. I think that's a astute observation, but it's, you know, it's purely funny, but purely funny in a way that doesn't work if you don't 
understand the general tropes of the X-Files as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least it's got a ton of in-jokes. Um, and then Founder's Mutation was like an uh, evil scientist plus people with weird powers, but no one who... And then, and then there were a bunch of like really gross, gross-out moments, but not like... Um, you know, not like monsters who are lurking in the dark, which is what Home Again was, where the monster, what the monster is, doesn't really make sense and isn't really important. But um, it's a it's a creepy thing that's going around and like wreaking vengeance and some perverse form of monster justice uh, in really graphic and disgusting ways. Mm-hmm. And those are all things that the X Files has consistently done. And basically, like all of the all of the best episodes probably fit into one of those three categories, if not all three. Chris, you were pointing out a lot of them really, really combine some version of the all three of those things. Um, I think so. But I mean, to me, one of the successes of season ten, um, and why I'm very conflicted about considering whether or not it was uh, a successful season, is that like. I like you, Ben, came into this with very low expectations, and um, after the first episode, was convinced that this was going to be a disaster, and um, and that maybe we should have canceled the podcast before uh, that happened. And then the next couple episodes, um, the next three, like it was clear to me how much I just needed a little dose of nostalgia, and you know, just getting that right tone, I was immediately back to feeling the way I did you know, when I watched it originally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if it had just continued, I mean, if X-Files were just on every week with a level of quality in the range of those three episodes, I would tune in in perpetuity. Yes. Um, I agree. So I want to, I guess, wrap up um, with, uh, we'll start with you, Chris, in terms of, um, you know, th- things that you liked about the X-Files, things that work, um, not just about this show, but, you know, outside of the X-Files. So whether or not you think this season worked by itself or was generally successful, um, I think we can all agree there are three episodes people should watch if they've enjoyed the X-Files in any capacity, and you absolutely can miss the other three episodes without missing anything else. Um, you don't need to know why Mulder and Scully got hired back at the FBI because they don't really explain it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so regard outside of the X-Files itself, like what, um, what for you uh, can scratch that itch, like in terms of the tone or um, quality or just like something else that you're getting that you loved about the X-Files during its original run and during this little recent uh, reboot that, you know, some other people might be able to get some same level of enjoyment from? Well, it's, I mean, I think this answer is kind of cheating, um, but Supernatural has a lot of X-Files elements. I mean, a lot of the same actor, like, um, extras that were in X-Files are in that show. Um, is that is that what you're asking? Like, what oh, other shows? I, I mean, think? yeah, a show, um, anything, yeah, that's... Yeah, um, but... Again, I, I watched that on Netflix, so I can. I think that's how a lot of us watch our TV shows now, um, and that's one that you can, you know, just kind of binge watch, binge watch and get your Monster of the Week episodes, because that's really 
one of the things that's really enjoyable about a TV show um, for me now is not having to really think a lot about it. Um, I mean, I still like that aspect of a show, like really getting into the mythology of it. Um, but in college, you know, having watched Lost, I really um, kind of uh, was emotionally whipped after that one. So I needed a couple, a decade or so off of those type of shows. Um, but I think that really um, those the, the shows that bring in a standalone episode, not not like a thirty minute sitcom where it's you know you're watching everybody loves Raymond and who gives a crap, but you know a you know hour long show where there is a theme to the series, and then every once in a while you'll have an episode that's just kind of like hey this is weird. Um, that those fill that void that the X-Files left whatever, 15 years ago um, or last night. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that I, while I, I, I don't think I hated the next to last episode as much as you, um, I, you know, I would go back and watch the second, third or second, third, fourth, and fifth episodes of this last season again, because um, they were really enjoyable and definitely not the last one. Everybody just skip that one. That oh, <laughs> still have a bad taste in my mouth from that. All right. So aside from that, you you're recommending Supernatural? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first like six seasons, and then it like every show should end. I'm sensing a theme. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that, that show has, um, some, uh, some of the same writers and the creator of that, um, show. Oh God. I'm going to forget his name. So I'm going to type really quick and look it up. Um, he passed away a couple years ago. We'll get back to you they, on this one. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Ben, what great, about you? Great, great podcast. <laughs> what about you? Um, I don't know if there's anything that completely replaces the X-Files size hole in my heart. There are a lot of sort of X-Files adjacent shows that have premiered in the last couple of years that have achieved some level of critical respect if not quite acclaim uh you know shows like extent or orphan black or the whispers or wayward pines or colony or childhood's end i've at least tried most of those shows sampled most of those shows none of them has really hooked me so i guess the closest i could come to a sort of x-files ish show that i enjoy to the same degree, probably be Black Mirror, which, uh, you know, is an anthology series. It was a British show that has since been ported over. It's on Netflix. Just a couple seasons and, you know, uh, British length, BBC length seasons. So there isn't a a whole lot of Black Mirror yet, but there is a third season coming to Netflix this year, which I think is going to be 12 episodes. I'm not sure exactly what the timing is, but there will shortly be more Black Mirror. And it's a true anthology show, so there's no consistency from episode to episode. 
And, you know, it, it lacks the sort of Mulder and Scully relationship element, but it does have the same sort of speculative nature. It's it's about sort of a, a near future uh, kind of, you know, crooked funhouse mirror, black mirror sort of version of our society where it just considers the implications of technology and, you know, trends that we're seeing even now and sort of takes them to the extreme and wonders how it would change our lives. And it's, it can be very funny. It can be dark often in the same episode. And so it has that in common with the X-Files and it's just, you know, consistently good and thought provoking. And so I would definitely recommend people checking that out if they haven't and catching up with it before the new episodes come out. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great choice. That's, I think, um, in terms of catching a little bit of the, the tone of the X-Files, but also the, the, I, I think one of the things that maybe Chris Carter could stand to do is watch a couple BBC level series <laughs> and figure out yeah. how to compress narrative without just doing an exposition <laughs> dump. Right. <laughs> um, for me, actually, I can't necessarily say this is a recommendation because I feel super conflicted about it. Um, I, um, but it's, it's definitely a spiritual cousin of the X-Files, which is the man in high castle. Um, which was the, and I'm speaking specifically of the Amazon series. I have not read the book. And from what I understand, if you did read the book, you'll be unbelievably disappointed in the show. Um, but Frank Spotnitz, uh, brought the show to Amazon. Um, he was one of the original, you know, core pieces of the most successful X-Files, uh, runs along with, um, the the names who made this recent run work James Wong Darren Morgan Glenn Morgan and Vince Gilligan who um, you know Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul um, are I guess in in some ways you can see the thread that connects Breaking Bad to the X Files in terms of like how Vince Gilligan approaches characters and and stories and things like that but like that's a that's a whole other level. Um, but one of the things about Man in High Castle that I think compared especially to this recent run of the X-Files that I, I was able to, um, to get used to over the run of the, the, the um, Amazon show is that like it's, to me it was really successful at um, jumping between storylines in a sort of anthology way. And um, at its best points, that sh- that show was able to really, um, you know, make you care about, make us care about specific characters and uh, storylines in ways that were surprising um, and like you know unexpected. I think the there's a, a lot of pretty young star suffering in the in. The Man in High Castle show, which I would imagine an Agent Einstein and apparently the guy's name is Agent Miller um, show could could do pretty successfully, which is here's some pretty faces. Now watch them be sad as they approach, you know, weird things. Um, but outside of that, I think, you know, the um, being able to stay on the edge of your seat and build tension 
uh, and um, and end on a cliffhanger that doesn't make any sense and um, but still makes you wonder what's going to happen next. Like there's a lot of of X Files history behind how that show played out over time. Yeah, and that show really doles out the mythology tidbits extremely stingily. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you, you watch the entire first season and know essentially nothing more than you knew at the beginning, as far as the deeper questions about the universe go. And I, I thought that was, if anything, a little too conservative that that they made us wait to that extent. And I, I did watch the whole season. I wasn't tremendously sucked in, but I, I enjoyed it enough to keep watching. But you would definitely prefer that, I think, you know, this, the, the answers being withheld to the answers just being heaped on you and then the writers not having any more. And so yeah. I, I would much prefer the not enough information to the way too much information. Yeah, I think the other thing that um, the Man in High Castle did really successfully that this run of the X Files didn't really try to do, but in the X in the past, the X Files did sometimes successfully, sometimes really struggling, was introduce new characters and make you care about them, whether or not they were going to be recurring. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think you know the other thing that this X Files run reminded me of was the Americans because. Um, the alien DNA girl from the very first episode of this season. <laughs> right. Um, I just, all I could think of the entire time she was on was please just bring back the Americans. I'd rather watch that. Um, <laughs> but so that's, that's, in, that's thinking of a much better show that we should all go watch. But I think the man in high castle is an appropriately similar show in terms of um, thrilling without always necessarily being great. Mm -hmm. Black Mirror is probably great. Yeah, I immediately regret my uh, pick of Supernatural. Oh, Supernatural is exactly... I mean, I haven't seen very much of that, but I think that's right in line with the... It's not great, but it does scratch that procedural TV itch. Yeah. With weirdness. I mean, yeah, and, and Ben listed a ton. I remember for a long time that was the Sci-Fi Channel's MO, was just shows like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, Haven was a good one, too, from what I watched. I think that was canceled, though. That's another. That's a, a fun story that might scratch the itch for X-Files fans. Well, and, and maybe we end this with letting all the X-Files fans think of the parallel universe where the X-Files was canceled after four seasons. And um, there's <laughs> there exists an impossibly large internet culture imagining how perfect the world would be if the X-Files had just continued on to do a full 10-season run. <laughs> right instead of the dystopian reality that yeah we have. right <laughs> butterfly <laughs> flapped its wings 17 years ago and brought us to this hell <laughs> all right so i guess um all with with all luck x-files will return for an 11th season sometime in the next 15 years and we will not podcast about it because we'll be too sad um, but we will be rewatching um, the Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose and uh, Mulder and Scully meet the Were Monster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. 
All right. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, my pleasure, despite Chris Carter's best efforts. <laughs> yes, it was fun. It was fun. Made a world around. Ain't I love it in a world like a big eyed girl? It make me act so funny. Make me spend my money. Make me feel real loose. Like a long necked goose and like a girl. Oh, baby, that's what I like! but we'll then we'll get into it and <laughs> figure out how to um, talk for long enough without making us all of us sad <laughs> <laughs> all right